Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation, news, and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording this show on Friday, June 4th, 2021. It was a short work week due to the long Memorial Day weekend, but you and Katie managed to slip away, didn't you? Yes, Right after we recorded last week, mm. I drove to San Diego and Jim, what do you want to put my total travel time at? Uh, factor factor in a brief stop at In N Out for dinner. Okay. How long do you think it took? All right. From where you From are Toluca Lake. to Luca Lake yeah. to San Diego. I'm going to say conservatively six to seven hours. Better mm-hmm. than that, okay. but still terrible. Okay. A solid four hours. Oh. I we we finished around five, Jim. we were there at nine o'clock so there you go okay so you could you saw a lot of taillights is what you're saying a lot of taillights a lot of fellow vacationers uh on memorial day weekend but you know we had a lot of fun and um you know i'm excited we got a really fun show today so i'm very excited we do let's just jump into it i'm gonna get to the news here but speak for show the news portion of today's show is brought to us by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience, please book online at Storybook Destinations. So we actually start with a little bit of, of mixed news. The fact that Us Again is finally available for viewing on Disney+. Plus. This wonderful short. You finally got to see it. I finally got to see it literally like... An hour ago, suddenly, oh my God, it's it's on Disney Plus, and I almost split my head open. I was smiling so much. This thing is so ridiculously charming. It's not just directed by Zach Parrish; it's written by him. We also have to give a heads up to the music by Penar Toprak. Am I I'm pronouncing that right? I hope. Yeah, she's amazing. She did um, Captain Marvel and is. Awesome. Yeah, really great music. Just a ridiculously infectious score. Beautifully produced by Bradford Simmonson. It was one of those things, looking at it and realizing how much of this is set in an urban setting and how so much crowd work. And then whether it's like, oh, you know, just have to marshal all those resources. And I, I think we also have to mention uh, Keon and Mary Madrid, who did the choreography that was featured in the short. It's just so beautifully done and so joyous. But we also have to temper this with the news. Did you see that Zach Parrish left Disney? No. Where is he going? I don't know. It was announced on Twitter on May 15th. Andrew Lawson broke the news. And actually, you have to go chase down Andrew Lawson's thing on Twitter because he actually put up Zach's reel. And it's like, dear Lord, it's six minutes of your favorite moments from Tangled and Zootopia and Wreck-It Ralph and Ralph Breaks the Internet and Moana. He's the guy, for example, who did all of the great King Candy stuff in the original Wreck-It Ralph. He did Moana's grandmother in Moana. He did some of the, the best chunks of Maui and You're Welcome or or Mother Gothel and Mother Knows Best, but he slipped out the door at Disney after 11 years of the company. It just kind of kills me how few of us actually got to see Raya and the Last Dragon in theaters when it came out on March 5th, and the whole bunch of us were waiting for this short, and we finally get to see it, and it's like, it's just this wonderful thing, but the, you know, the guy who did it is is off to different pastures. and Netflix, Jim, that's, that's where he'll be going. Let's be honest, Netflix okay. is probably... 
Where <laughs> what are the the Disney shorts called? Uh, Short Circuit. Short Circuit. Okay, because yeah. he he did puddles for that. I actually loved puddles. I thought that was one of my favorite Short Circuit shorts. Absolutely, absolutely. It's beautifully staged. It has great action, lots of heart. So Zach, wherever you're headed, we we wish you much success and can't wait to see what you do next. Well, you know what? That's, that reminds me, Jim. I forgot to put this in the show notes, but Zenimation comes back next week. Oh, my uh, God. You're your... right. Yes. I, you know? I, I just got access to the screeners. and Yes. Now, these are the longer forms animations? or Yeah, they, they focus on different things. But what I want to give people a heads up for mm-hmm. about is that if you went to D23 a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. you saw test footage from Raya and the Last Dragon. Do you remember this, Jim? No, you don't. OK, so there was footage from Raya. It, it was very much like the um, oh, wait, wave wait, wait. footage from Moana, you know, gave you a sense of tone. OK, no, style. no, 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 no. I do doubt remember. OK, keep going. Yeah. OK. 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 So this footage obviously never made it into the movie, mm-hmm. but you will see this footage as part of Zenimation, this new batch of Zenimation episodes. So. Wow. Keep an eye out. OK. In these new episodes okay. for that footage. It's very cool. Mm-hmm. I love seeing that stuff. I still wish we could get our hands on the uh, Coco diorama. Yeah. So cool. And I was just on the phone with Leon Critch a couple weeks ago, and mm-hmm. I didn't even, I forgot to bring it up. But anyway. Okay. Didn't they call that the shoebox version of the movie? It was like right. this one continuous shot that showed it off as this amazing musical. <laughs> Yes. And then only at the the very, very, very end of it, we got to see Miguel. Yeah, it was at the time, it was the longest shot Mm. in Pixar history. It might still be. I'm not. I think there might be things longer in Incredibles, too. But anyway. Okay. Just thought that would be interesting. So check out Zenimation this week on Disney+. Plus. Okay, so we go for the longest shot in Pixar history to lots of shorts from uh, Illumination. We just had... News break about the Saturday morning Minions. This is the Minions from the Despicable Me movie series, but done in 2D. Yep. It's a new short every Saturday morning for the next 40 Saturdays. First one drops tomorrow, June 5th at 7 a.m. Did you take a look at the trailer? Or I did. It looks very cute. And I thought it was interesting that it's going on digital platforms. So it'll be on YouTube mm-hmm. and Twitter and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And not on Peacock, though. So what's that about? Perhaps they'll they'll gather them up at some point and make them available for Peacock there. But yes, interesting tease for Minions, The Rise of Gru, because we are more than a year out still from that film being released theatrically. That's still July 1st, 2022. We're in that we're in that sustain space jim that we thought we didn't need to be in because there would be a new movie but we got to keep that awareness going we got to keep that brand recognition alive okay okay that's what these are all about and has illuminations ever done a digital series before i mean they've done the mini movies with the minions for all of the despicable me movies to date no they've never this is their first series of anything i think Hmm. so okay okay yeah i know you're i know you're waiting for the hop limited series (laughs) The dark take on Hop. Yeah, I don't see that happening anytime soon. (laughs) On the other hand, another film I just did not see happening is Belle. So the trailer just dropped for this, and it's Muro Hasato's latest film. Is that correct? Yes. 
he made um, Mirai from a few years ago. Okay. Nominated for the Best Animated Feature Oscar. Mm-hmm. Wonderful film. I think we we reviewed it sort of on the show. We right? did. Like, we did. Yeah. And yeah. based on the trailer for Bell, did you get that, actually get to see the trailer? Yeah, it looks crazy. It does. It's so cool. The premise of the film is we are no longer limited to a single world. Our protagonist, Suzu, is a 17-year-old high school girl who lives in the countryside of Kochi Prefecture with her dad after losing her mother at a young age. She loves singing with her mother more than anything else, but as a result of her mom's death, she's no longer able to sing. It wasn't long before she and her dad grew more and more distant from each other, and Suzu closed her heart to the rest of the world. When Sisu felt that writing music was her only purpose left in life, she then discovered a massive online space known as You, where she took on a persona, Bell. And Suzu quickly realized that when she's inside You as her avatar, Bell, she can sing quite naturally. She continues to showcase her own music in the visual world. She fast becomes the rising star of You. Nonetheless, that surprise is short-lived. Suddenly, a mysterious dragon-shaped creature appears before her. The thing of it is, if you watch the trailer, this is live world, virtual world, take on the tale of Beauty and the Beast, don't you think? Yeah, it looks really cool. The creature looks great. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love the design of the thing. In fact, you were pointing out that character designs are by Disney vet Jin Kim. Is that correct? Yeah. And our friends, Jim, Mm. Tom Moore and Ross Stewart. Yes. And the team at Cartoon Saloon are doing the backgrounds, which I think is so cool. I have to agree. I have to agree. Now, downside of this, folks, is as of right now, we only have a release date for Japan. That's July 16th. But geez, I hope somebody snatches this thing up ASAP, because that trailer just is crazy. And it's just sort of like, I want to see this movie now. Yeah, there was speculation that it was going to be at Annecy this year, but it is not. So, yeah, we will have to wait. Okay, We'll have to we'll have to get those reviews out of Japan first, I guess, and wait for G kids to pick it up or something. Okay, okay, really want to see this one soon. Speaking of crazy trailers, and I know just recently with your great series you've been doing over Twitter about, you know, sort of the forgotten films of the Disney catalog, and you've touched on a few that Jerry Bruckheimer did back in the day with Don Simpson, right? Yes. Okay. There's actually a really fun Don Simpson podcast out right now called The Don. Is it really? Yeah. It's sort of a half-fictionalized take on his life and death and... um, the stories of when he was getting Days of Thunder ready to come out. Was it going head to head with Dick Tracy? Uh, it might have been. Yeah, you're right. The reason we're bringing up Don Simpson is this other trailer that just broke for America, the motion picture. Were you watching this and thinking, well, yeah, this is the Don Simpson version of the American Revolution? Yes, yes. The bullet point describes it as a chained, saw-wielding, foul-mouthed George Washington leads with beer-loving bro Sam Adams as they take down the Brits in a tongue-in-cheek riff on the American Revolution. And... First of all, what a surprise. This is from the producer of Archer and Phil Lord and Chris Miller in the mix. But did you have any particular favorite moments out of this trailer? <laughs> I did like when when a character was taunting someone about their one liner and they said, oh, did you think of that while you were driving here in the car? And they said, what is a car? <laughs> that I thought was very funny. 
that's Simon Pegg as as King yes. James there. But you know, we've got Bobby Monahan as the voice of Paul Revere, and I guess it's Channing Tatum who's also an executive producer of this, who's also the voice of George Washington. Am I getting yeah. that right? Yeah, and you know what? This is actually the very first original Netflix animated movie ever announced. This was announced back in 2016 or 2017. Are you? And now it is finally seeing <sighs> life in 2021, Jim. Wow, yes. And, yeah. And, and arriving on June 30th, folks, on Netflix. So uh, just in time for, for the 4th of July. Yes. We will circle back, I'm sure, to America the Motion Picture. Just from the clip of Paul Bunyan wielding an axe and fighting with Big Ben, which evidently is a Transformer, Downside of this, folks, you're not going to be able to show this to your kids, but you can show them We the People. This is an interesting bunch that's putting this one together, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is under Michelle and Barack Obama's production deal with Netflix. Mm-hmm. Kenya Barris, who created Blackish, is also an executive producer. Mm-hmm. It seems to be they're kind of they're kind of short film slash music videos. Mm-hmm. Bobby and Kristen Lopez did one of the songs. Oh. I don't know if you saw that, Jim. Okay. But top tier. Mm-hmm animators doing these things like jorge gutierrez mm-hmm. who is got mayan three coming out mm-hmm. and did book of life uh peter ramsey who co-directed spider-verse uh darren nefsi who created star versus the forces of evil i mean these are huge creators and a very diverse group of creators no absolutely and, um, and kind of writing heard on the whole bunch is chris knee the the creator of uh, Doc McStuffin. So uh, right. got a great pedigree, but I guess we've got 10 three-minute-long episodes, and this debuts on July 4th. Right. Beyond that, looking a little further ahead, beyond July into August, I love that this is about to happen. We're about to get special editions of the Leica movies. Finally. Yeah, we start off with a combo pack of Coraline and Box Trolls, that drops August 31st, and then we get a combo of Paranorman and Kubo and the Two Strings on September 20th. It's HD Blu-rays, and we're going to get interviews behind the scenes. This just fascinates me, the, the notion that they're going to give us feature-length storyboards. Yes. Like has always been great about showcasing their, their process. In, in fact, when they did the Leica pop-up, in LA for Missing Link uh, back in October 2019. Did you ever, did you get to that or? No, I did press for like, for Missing Link, Mm -hmm. but I did not go to that. I think I was one of the first people to watch it actually. Mm -hmm. Um, I got to see it really early um, and I I really liked that movie a lot, Mm -hmm. but it really, it didn't connect. But seeing these, what's on these special features, Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so many new things too, Jim. I don't know if you saw, but, New feature-length storyboards for Paranorman, Mm -hmm. new test footage, I think, on all of them, new interviews. Mm -hmm. I mean, these are going to be, like, a complete dream Mm -hmm. for Leica fanatics like yourself and myself, because, ugh. I mean, these are movies that are so so crafted Mm -hmm. and so handmade, and, I mean, just really wonderful. Absolutely. But uh, the thing that kind of frustrates me is, you know, for example, there was... That Leica exhibit, uh, Animating Life, the Art, Science, and Wonder of Leica, that uh, was at the Portland Art Museum from October of 2017 and then closed shop in, in May of 2018. And Pixar's had exhibits that toured and toured the world right now at the Boston Museum of Science. 
it's an exhibit that was there 10 years ago that was so popular they brought it back. And it's just sort of like, where's the touring Leica exhibit for us sad, old, fat animation fans who, who want to go stare at great, great stop motion models? Do you remember when they they had that deal with Focus and they actually had a, an installation in the park? Oh, God, you're right. Yeah. Um, it was at Universal Studios Hollywood and mm. there were full models and, and other things. I remember going to see Paranorman mm-hmm. out here and they actually had the at the Arclight, the now deceased Arclight. They had the van mm-hmm. from Paranorman set up in the lobby, which was so cool. All the puppets were there. I mean, it was really quite awesome but it was i think it was something like that at universal studios so mind you if a you're willing to get a get on a plane or if you're allowed to get on a plane there is that ray harry hawson exhibit uh titans of cinema right now it's at the scottish national gallery of modern art it's going to be there till february 2022 so again they're doing these you did the installation at Universal Hollywood and you did the thing at Portland. And I know I'm being greedy. Okay. I know. I'll shut up now. <laughs> but there's a reason that I'm, I'm greedy. I get to see good stuff and I want other people to be able to see good stuff. And, and speaking of, of good stuff, Drew and I actually got to see Pixar's Luca. And when we get from, back from this break, we're going to not only talk about the movie, but we're going to talk with two of the very talented people who actually made this movie. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Before we get starting, I'll talk about Luca. You had mentioned that news broke the hour before we were going to record this week's fine-tuning, right? Yeah, uh, we've got a new cast member Mm -hmm. for Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse sequel as you and i are fiendishly you know trying to jump on any news about this sequel that it will be hitting theaters next october which i'm sure seems very very soon to everybody working on this movie but Mm -hmm. insecure star uh and creator Mm -hmm. Issa ray Mm -hmm. is going to be jessica drew aka spider woman Mm -hmm. which is so cool yep and so exciting we were just talking about Phil Lord and Chris Miller, and they're the guys who helped shepherd the the initial Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse back in December of 2018. 
but yeah, I, I guess the downside is we still have to wait on this one. We still have to wait till October of 2022. Though, aren't we supposed to get a Spider-Man No Way Home trailer sometime soon? Have you heard anything about that? That's the speculation. I think it'll probably be in the next couple of weeks. Okay. I imagine that there's another Marvel property, Jim, that it might be attached to. <laughs> oh, yes. You are correct. You are correct. Yes. Okay. We mentioned Luca, so let's talk about Luca. So again, this is strictly on Disney Plus, right? Well, it is. There is, I think, a seven-day or six-day window that it is showing at the El Cap Jim, and I've already got my tickets. Okay. Okay. There's been a couple of reviews that sort of have bubbled up at this point, and I forget who it was exactly described this as Sea Monsters Inc which I, I don't think is actually the right way to... The, the sort That's of, stupid, Jim. Yeah. That's stupid. Because this is really an incredibly charming coming-of-age story, wouldn't you say? Or Yeah, absolutely. If you, you stick all the way through the credits, they close out this film by mentioning that it was dreamed up by Pixar and made in our slippers around the Bay Area, which, again, reflects the fact that so much of this film was done inside of that 15-month window when, when COVID disrupted the entire entertainment industry. And you don't get a sense at all that these people you know, that worked on this film were working under that, that sort of handicraft because it's, it's just beautiful. What's your favorite aspect of this film? Well, I mean, I, did, I loved the way that it looked. Mm-hmm. I thought that we will, we will be getting into what inspired this look, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, very sort of Ardman mm-hmm. slash Miyazaki influence, mm-hmm. and I, I thought it was absolutely wonderful. I don't know how you felt, Jim, but... I was lucky enough to be the host of a panel for the Pixar shorts, and we got to introduce the audience to La Luna, which was Enrico Casarosa's debut project as a director at Pixar. And I would love it if they would actually put these two together when it's out at the El Cap, because this was the sort of the indication that, you know, Enrico was an amazing storyteller who could, could bring wonderful worlds to life. But it's, but at the same time, it's the fact that they really are kind of the same world. In fact, it's hard for me to look at Luca and not see some of the characters uh, that were introduced in La Luna. Yeah, I mean, the the artistic through line is definitely mm-hmm. there. Okay. I mean, you're not telling me what you thought of the movie, though, Jim. You're just telling me that it looks like... At well, this point, we've had enough trailers that have sort of given away the, the story, so to speak. The two boys, Luca and Alberto, are actually sea monsters. But again, magical sea monsters that once they come on land and their water the water dries up, they can pass for human boys. And... This is set in the 1950s in a small seaside town in the Italian Riviera, and this thing has charm for days. One of the things I love the most about this movie is is how small it was. Yes, I mean it's just it's it's a charm piece. It's it's set in a tiny world where the stakes aren't necessarily they're not incredibles high, but but this thing entertains from beginning to end just a sweet story with a great message i thoroughly enjoyed it what about you yeah i thought it was amazing i mean i was a wreck at the end of this movie jim mm-hmm. i know that we you say that about every mm-hmm. pixar movie but yeah I, I i thought it was beautiful it was simple 
what's lovely about it is you can, I think, read into it mm -hmm. a number of ways about people's different experiences. Mm -hmm. And it's all about acceptance mm -hmm. and sort of bridging that gap. And I mean, I think it's just wonderful. Given that the, the trailers already have given so much away that there, there's a couple of surprises in this thing that I, I don't want to give away because they're, they're great little fun moments. But rather than have us talk about this movie, folks at Pixar have been nice enough to allow us to talk with the director, Enrico Casarosa. Uh, likewise, Andrea Warren, uh, who I really want to talk with her about, you know, how you pull off a movie that looks this great when nobody's actually in the office. Yeah, Enrico, yeah. how are you? Good. Hi, Drew. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. I like that you liked my tweet. You didn't retweet it. I'm trying not to take that personally, Andrea. I'm sorry to air this in front of you. Um, oh my god, what's going on? <laughs> well, you know, you don't want to. We don't want to feel like we're tooting our horn too much. <laughs> okay, let me. I will toot your horn for you. Um, <laughs> I just want to ask, why not widescreen? We just had Soul was a lovely two three five. We, yours is a little bit taller. Was was that a? Yeah. It, it does make it look more like a postcard. Um, oh, so I, was, funny, I was wondering, yeah, yeah where, yeah. why that? Yeah, it's a very good question. I think it, there, there's two two parts of it. One is just preference and the way I, I draw. And we had a world of under the surface, above the surface. There was a verticality to me of going up and coming down that felt like I wanted some of the verticality. It's also these towns are very vertical. Right. Uh, so even just the buildings. So when we did some tests that just I, I my instinct was going there um, and and uh, it just felt better for the kind of space we we were capturing, you know. But yeah, it comes down kind of to preference, you know what I okay. mean? Okay. Yes. Instincts and, and, and some of the movies I, I, I love and even the Italian. You know, if you go and look at the golden era of Italian, they're even, they're even less uh, wide. Uh, right. So uh, that made me not want to go super wide there. Okay. Know? Okay. Yes. I've heard Pete say before that that widescreen isn't as funny either. So uh, A little more cinematographic. Yeah, we had a playfulness, a playfulness uh, 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 that I think you might be right, would, would play a little different probably. I, I want to ask this because I, I got to the amazing privilege of writing the uh, making of book for Onward. So I am, I'm so into that original version of Onward with the two kids and the girl, which when I see saw Luca, it was like, oh, this seems like a little bit of, did you guys kind of migrate any of that stuff over? I saw that Dan is a executive producer and Corey, um, was there any sort of like hive minding going on in that regard? You know, there wasn't, but I remember thinking like, wow, because their code name was Trio. Yes. And we're like, they don't have a trio anymore. And we have a trio. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think it happened. Uh, here's the funny thing. We had four oh, okay. and we got rid of one. And, and so I feel it's in both moments. It, it happened parallel, in parallel way without any connection. But it, it was a moment of focusing your story. And we had Chicho was a third wheel sea monster kid. It was the odd kid, a okay. funny, funny, weird guy. And because, you know, we, we started with a movie that was a little more stand by me, kids on an adventure. And so I think it speaks to needing sometimes to pull in the focus into your main relationships. And I think okay. that happened to them and it happened to us. But yes, we... 
we sure wanted Julia in the middle of this and we love Julia. <laughs> yes, she's amazing. Yeah. And uh, this is for both of you guys. Uh, I think when Pete was doing Soul Press, he was like, we swapped release dates, right? So you were supposed to be last year yeah. or whatever, whatever. I mean, now the timing's all screwed up, but yeah. you were supposed to be first and Soul was after. Yeah. I was wondering what, was there some kind of production or story hurdle that you guys got stuck on and what yeah. was that and how did you overcome? On the point of the release date, I think, yeah. you know, at Pixar, there's sort of like, we kind of have hovering release dates, you know, and right. then there's kind of multiple projects brewing. And so I think one thing that's been interesting is not assigning things too early. I think we used to kind of do that and then it kind of led to more shuffling. Um, but I think at that time, we were kind of both contenders for the same slot. And so we weren't assigned to that slot and neither were they. And then they just said, Pete, go. So he is certainly part of the story is, uh, uh, you know, that they, they were on a pretty yeah. accelerated schedule. Right. Um, so it was, kind of, are, it was, yeah. it was this kind of slightly newer system for us. That, yeah. that, I always think of it as planes on the runway. We were yeah, kind yeah. of side by side. We maybe were just a tiny bit more ahead of them, but then they, you know, it really comes down to finding the story does and, and how, yeah, how much do you have it together? Cause then you're off and you got to make it. Both of us had a lot of work left one way or the other. And right. yeah, I think if there was a hurdle for us was digging deeper, find, again, sculpting away things that were meant to be there. Finding, finding our ending was a big, big part of it. And there's an interesting story there because I knew I wanted to talk about these friendships with very different people, how we pull and each other into growing up. And I, the, the idea of, we had to go our separate ways, actually, that that was part of our growing up as well came into focus. I was actually talking to my best friend that, that it made me realize that was a big part of the, the, the story. And so once we found that, we didn't have that ending right away. So once we found that ending, it gave me a wonderful North Star to aim for. So that was certainly a big part of it. This film is charming as hell, but can we talk a little bit about the lighting? Because the lighting in this thing is masterful. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I was just re-watching the film and there's that moment at the end where it's sunlight through clouds, that sort of smiling through tears thing. And the lighting of this thing is, is just next level stuff. The fact that Danielle and her team were able to deliver on this sort of thing. I, did you go in with, you know, sort of a, a goal of we're going to do something different lighting wise or... Yeah, I think it all came together as a team because there's Daniela Strijleva, our amazing color script that they did in art with Daniel Lopez Munoz and, and Ernesto Nemesio. So it, it, the, the beginning is like, how are you going to paint these moments? But there's the stylistic choice of trying to push things into this expressive world. So the clouds, we worked really hard with our cloud teams to make them a little more puffy and watercolorish. Right. A lot of the elements were brought into kind of an expressive, overly saturated texture, sometimes um, men made, you know, like 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 artists made textures. Um, so that is, I feel, part of it. And then it was brought all together by, you know, our lighting team, to your point, that that had to bring together all the shading and all these amazing things with with uh, inspiration of our beautiful paintings. So yeah, I, I'm glad you noticed it. I think it's, it, it has to do with trying to look for a different style. 
and letting it be very emotional and expressive. So right when we do uh, our paintings, we always feel like, what's the emotion we want here? Okay, this this is going to be the kind of dark moment where it's like things are 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 you know more muted, or this is a moment where like yeah, you want to signify the emotion of it. So I'm glad you felt it because the other side is like feeling the heat of this beautiful town, right? In the alleys. I love those moments when they start meeting Julia and getting to know her with this beautiful light. Part of it is inspired by the place, right? There's always beautiful laundry. Uh, you see the light through, but like the warmth, the color of these towns, which is really beautifully uh, colorful. Um, um, it's it's but, great to hear you say that, Jim, too, because I think one of the decisions we did make along the way was to send our DPs to the Cinque Terre. And so it was really, I think, inspiring for Kim White in charge of the lighting and David Bianchi in charge of camera to actually be there together. We wanted to go with them, but we were busy and we couldn't go. But but for them to really, you know, take in the the look of the water, the reflections, all of that, you know, and I think they definitely came back really with an internalized sense of what it felt to be there and with a, with a sense of how to capture that and how to lead their teams um, to capture it in the film. Well, I think Jim and I both wanted to ask about sort of the inspiration of this movie and the, the amazing look and the, the willingness to go more expressive and cartoony and having different rigs and different models for the side when characters turn to the side and all of that stuff. I mean, when was that decision made? Was there any sort of resistance? And what were your chief inspirations behind this sort of? Yeah, yeah I, I feel like we we had interesting meetings where we go like, here's the direction we want to go in animation. What do you think, Pete, Pete Doctor? And uh, uh, we want it a little different. We want, you know, we have different voices, new director, let's make them look different. And I think uh, Pete embraced it and he had his own thoughts of like maybe fine tuning them. The inspiration was, um, since you're specifically to animation, it's worth talking about that specifically. Yeah. The animators, you're starting to explore the, the characters and we look at stuff together. Here's the stuff I love. So I share what I love. They go and do their digging. It's very collaborative. It's amazing. So I show them Future Boy Corner, which is this old TV series that Miyazaki made in the 80s. I grew up with it. And so we're looking at very limited animation. There's threes, there's probably even fours, which means like, you know, very few yeah. drawings that snap. So we're like, well, here's a run that it's inspired by it. They would show me something like that, that it's like maybe holds a pose. Or we looked at the amazing scene of uh, in Castle Cagliostro when, 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 you know, a held pose of Lupin jumping over the castle spires. There's held poses, you know. So it, it started making us think, when is less more? And can this be playful and cartoony? So some of it was inspired by the things we love others and we looked also at a lot of stop motion because we just i was like what is it about armin lip sync and amazing acting in the mouth that i love and so we we dug at that a little bit and then lastly our drawings just the style of something expressive in the sketches um sometimes the boards that you know i boarded a couple of scenes that gave us some like that is a weird enrico drawing how do we capture that in animation one of them was 
the crazy running moment and we realize like oh we should you know i draw it with five different legs and we're like can we do that and they're like no we can't and then someone's like oh maybe we could use this other rig that is for the transformation to add some limbs and then maybe we erase some of the limbs to make them ghostly so that was really fun to look for opportunities for this playfulness and animators get so excited when we get designy, look for something new. And it was a wonderful collaboration. I mean, seeing your characters come to life, move, is one of the most joyous moments in, in a director's odyssey of this movie, you know, because they've been sketches, they've been uh, uh, doodles, and now they're like moving and expressing. So I just love that part. And the animators knocked it out of the park. I, I hope that it's a movie that puts front and center the performances. Yeah, it was, it was wonderful that the studio and Pete in particular, even in our crew, really supported the process of finding this style because you have to search for it and you kind of have to hit up of the sides mm -hmm. of like, oh, that's too much. OK, go more this way. Oh, no. You know, and so you're kind of wobbling around trying to find those anchor images that, you yeah. go, yes, that's it. And so um, anyway, it was just wonderful that everybody sort of embraced that that journey of finding the look of this film. It's true. When does style get distracting? I think that that was something we a couple of times Pete was really helpful. It's like, I think um, that is attracting my attention a little more than I want. And that those were little tweaks we made. Can you give an example of that? Uh, mouth lip sync. We tried lip sync that was in twos and it was very stop motion-y and a little cut out -y. Uh, So it felt like we needed some physicality. So what the key thing, this is very detailed, but it was about getting more squash and stretch on the jaws so that when my mouth moves, this needs to move. Uh, so once we married it with that, we could still be snappy and a little stop motion, but it didn't make my eye only go to his eye. So I do feel that's a wonderful learning curve because if you just only chase style, to me, it can pull you out a little bit. And that was something I learned because I was certainly like the guy like, we can do this very, very different. And then you're like, oh yeah, there's a sweet spot for, mm -hmm. for that we found for us, at least for this movie. Well, you were just mentioning less is more. And, and I think, for a lot of folks, they're going to look at this film, and it's it's a beautiful little gem of a movie. But at the same time, the fact is that you're two lead characters. You needed two sets of rigs to pull off those characters. Likewise, you know, you had five supporting characters that you need double rigging on. And yeah. how did that feel, Andrea, when they came to you? Oh, by the way, we're going to need to double up on all these characters. Yeah, and we have to see them transform from one to the other. Seamlessly. I think it was the character department was like, wow, wait a minute, whoa. And then we were like, what if we feature transformation on screen in really big shots? Now what? You know, in so, different ways, by the way, because that was the hard yeah. part. Sometimes it's fast, sometimes it's slow. <laughs> I think that was the real trick was, was um, not only having two different ones, but having two different ones that had to to mash up together in order to pull off the transformation. So the team got really creative about that. Again, I mean, I think that's one of the most amazing things about working at Pixar is the crew, uh, the expertise of the crew is is so incredible. And so as a director, you really can come in and say, what if? And and that can be wildly imaginative. And the crew is always ready and excited to kind of, you know, jump in and sort it out creatively. So yeah, I think the character department um, definitely 
uh, made a lot of lists that we has had to add up the amount of work and uh, you know really go back and prioritize. But it was always very important, obviously, to have these multiple versions and the transformations. So there's other sacrifices and chat, you know, um, things that we were willing to do to support that important part of the storytelling. Well, I think we both also wanted to know, you know, that there's that great note at the end of the movie that people made this movie in their slippers uh, at home. <laughs> and we've heard from, you know, people that worked on Raya that it was really empowering for the animators because they had a lot more sense of ownership over sequences and scenes and stuff like that. And I was wondering from both of you, uh, what was this experience like? Was it sort of freeing in a way? And and how did you manage it? Yeah, I don't know if freeing feels like the first word I would use, but- uh, Freeing. Um, trying, to put a, uh, trying to put a positive spin on it. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. No, I totally, I mean, it, it, it throws a curveball at you and then you you work with it. So I, I there's a lot of silver linings, I'll say that to it. Um, I mean, I, I'll say to to the challenges of it is just that you, you then all of a sudden uh, in my position, you have these never-ending days stuck with barely two minutes to go to the restroom. <laughs> and and then because you can't just tell people, you get a list of things to do after the day. So it just made it like I needed to dig deeper because it needed more time. So it felt, and I think I wasn't the only one that needed to do that. Just some communication got slowed down and there were emails instead of a quick chat in the hallway. So I think it made it, a little bit painstaking that way, you know, and very like, okay, let's dig in because we're not going to be able to finish if we don't dig in. So, but that is also the superpower of like, we're in this together. This is hard and we're going to do it. And so that brought the team together. The sky was falling. Things were happening, right? There were red skies and craziness. So I think like every day we were feeling like, how's everybody doing? Are you guys okay? <laughs> like there was a sense of wanting to take care of our crew because there was so much going on, but also that we came together with a purpose. We visited Puerto Rosso <laughs> in all our shots. So it did bring light to a, a tough, for sure, or dark here. So it became, that is what I found very wonderful. And with animation specifically, I don't know, I, we, didn't, we didn't change our process in the way we spread the work, but um, we, that was the biggest question, can we do it? And I felt like it, it was a wonderful collaboration with them. Animation is this wonderful specificity of, of timing. It's, just, it's like they become your friends and your family because every morning you see them and every evening you see them, we have dailies. And it's this wonderful collaborative process. So I had a really amazing time working with them and, and like plusing because they're so into giving each other notes and, and like, oh, here's, here's what we need, but is there a way to elevate this shot? And they did it so often and they brought this extra flavor to it all. Yeah, I mean, I think obviously there was sort of this initial questions that were big ones like, what is this? How long is this? Can we keep working? You know, uh, those were the, you know, at the outset, but I think, you know, Enrico and I just can't say enough positive things about the crew at Pixar because I think that with all of the ingenuity and flexibility and scrappiness, you know, next thing we know, we're sending iPads and microphones to the actors and there's, you know, Jack Dylan Grazier in his mother's closet with the sound baffling from the clothes, you know, recording and, you know, we're telling him, Jack, your arm is hitting the hangers, you know, and, um, uh, and you know, and, and just finding a way to move forward. I mean, we missed, you know, the in-person energy, you know, especially when we were trying to figure out the story, nothing beats being in a room, everybody's writing on a whiteboard, 
you know, people are talking over each other because we're building ideas and it's just hard to do that over Zoom. The energy is so different. Um, but I think we did find a way to kind of overcome it and carry on. And like Enrico said, you know, ultimately it was kind of an era of life that we sort of got through together. Right. Not that you would want to make a movie like this. No, yeah. I don't yeah. recommend it. No. <laughs> but, but. I, there's a little intro, you know, obviously I'm an introvert at heart and, and uh, uh, that's another little silver lining. I was like, well, at least <laughs> I can, you know, I get sent an email with uh, work that I, and I'm going to write him back. Well, that's perfect for an introvert. <laughs> no connection. But yeah, that's not what you want normally. Thank you so much guys for making the time. And Enrico, I just want to say, 10 years ago, I was lucky enough to be at D23 and, and introduced uh, La Luna, mm -hmm. you know, that magical short. And it was just seeing that that one day and just like, oh, man, if this guy ever gets to make a feature, you know, I can't wait. And we now finally have it. And it's just sort of, you know, the promise of La Luna, you delivered in spades. I mean, it's just a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful film. Oh, thank you so much. And I, I'm so glad you say that because it is kind of that was something that we kept on saying. How do I do I make sure I can bring some of that into a movie, which is a different beast, you know? Um, so thank you so much for saying thank that. Thank you guys. So nice to see you. Nice to uh, see you too. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Thank you. That was so nice to get the, the chance to listen to Enrico and Andrea talk about how uh, Luca came together. Just hugely enjoyable film. If you're out in L.A., go to see this at the El Capitan. Seriously, I'm hoping they put La Luna in front of this thing, but I'll be intrigued to hear you know, what short is in front of this thing. Yes. This shows up on Disney Plus on June 18th, so be sure and check it out, folks. And speaking of things you really should be checking out, if you are not listening to Light the Fuse, you don't even have to be fans of, of these series to, to have a great time listening to uh, you know this particular podcast, Drew and his co-host do an amazing job of, you know, it's some of the very best people in the industry coming on telling these amazing behind the stories, you know, scene stories that are often about Mission Impossible, often about John Wick, but also about all of the other films they worked on. And it, yes. in fact, how we're just a few weeks out now from the brian de palma shows or? yeah we're just a couple of weeks out and uh the the episodes that are going on right now mm -hmm. are with this great underwater photographer mm -hmm. named pete romano who has done basically every underwater shot of any oh. movie you love so he was on the abyss he mm -hmm. was on titanic mm -hmm. and he's done underwater photography for i think three or four of the mission impossible movies so you know. it's a great chat mm -hmm. um also Jim, we dip back into Color of Night. Mm -hmm. He shot the pool sequence. So did he um, really get ready for talk of Bruce Willis <laughs> in his birthday suit? Let's just say that. Didn't need that image, girl. <laughs> okay. On, on the other hand, you know the abyss. He told stories about working on on that one, and what they flooded an old reactor tower. It, it, you yeah, know. he was in the second tank, the one with the set of the second underwater lab Ooh. so uh yeah it's uh it's pretty interesting he i mean he worked for michael bay and james james cameron that's a lot wow so i lived yeah. to tell the tale i mean i, I just lived to tell the tale you know i just remember those stories about them shooting the abyss and how they covered the surface of the in order to get the pitch black of you know being literally down at the, the bottom of the ocean 
was it polystyrene balls? What did they cover the sur- the water surface with the block? Yeah, they were like they were almost like BBs or something. Yeah, yeah. And the stories that came off of that set. Have there actually been more versions of the Abyss than there have been of Blade Runner at this point? No, there's only I think there's only two versions of the Abyss. Really? Um, okay. Um, it's very hard to see the Abyss anywhere, mm-hmm. um, especially in the director's cut mm-hmm. format. Okay. Uh, but it, it pops up on streaming services from time to time. Mm-hmm. I prefer the the director's cut, but you know, I think it's a great movie. It holds up very well. It was the very very early days where the the entertainment press smelled blood in the water and it just kind of that last action hero scenario again where right. the, the trades were full you know they had a sense of okay this is a troubled film so let's stay on top of it any story that made it look bad was what got published and then the fact that because they had to rush it to get it out to make their locked in release date uh, they didn't get a lot of the effects work done to the point that they wanted. And it was only two years, three years later, we finally got the director's cut. And it's like, oh, yeah, I think he, supposedly he's working on a new Blu-ray for now that he's now that he's at Disney. And now that the abyss is a, a Disney movie, hopefully it'll. <laughs> wow. OK. Yeah. Can't wait. Yeah. Uh, but again, it, it, once you, you finish listening to those, we, we got a couple of podcasts over here as well. We got uh, Disney years with Lentesto. We got. Marvelous Disney with Aaron Adams. Uh, likewise, we just did a new Universal Joint with Dustin Fuse. Beyond that, you can find us uh, over Twitter and Instagram as Jim Hill Media and on Facebook as Jim Hill Media News. Thanks for listening, folks. And Drew and I will be back with a new show next week.